Thank you, Brooke. If you have your Bibles, keep them open right there to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, that's where we're going to spend uh, the first half of this time together before we uh, try a little something at the end here. Matthew chapter 6. One of my favorite home videos that we have uh, is when our, it's when our second daughter was about 16, 18 months old. And it's a, it's a shot of her at the table. She's eating. It's this Gemma. She's eating. She's very happy. You just see nothing but pleasantness on her face. And then she swallows the bite, and in an instant she realizes her plate is empty. And the happiness just goes right to a scowl, and she begins demanding another piece of food. Like in a second. You just, the, the, the shift is so quick that, that we still watch this day and laugh. We laugh just how funny it happened, how quickly it happened. It was funny back then. It was cute back then. She's six. It's not so funny now. Right? It's just not as cute now. And this, this the thing with Jimmy, her whole life she's placed a tremendous value on the instantaneous. Now she mostly does this with food, but she does it with other things too. Because in Jimmy's mind, everything is better now no matter what. So no matter what you offer, if, if one of them is for right now, that's the best. And so around the age of four, I began testing this to see if I could work this out of her. And I began offering better stuff later. I began offering her more if she would just wait. And so if she wanted uh, a little energy ball that, that her mama made or a cookie, a homemade cookie, I'd say, all right, you can have one now or you could have three in an hour. Well, she'd choose the one now. So then I upped it. All right, you can have one now, but if you'd wait two hours, I'll give you five. Well, she'd choose the one now. I got two hours offering. You can have one now. I'll give you 25 tomorrow morning. If you just wait. And she'd always choose the one now. And I had to stop because I began offering more than I could actually come through on in case she said yes, I couldn't do it. And she always chose the instant offering no matter how much greater the later one was. And so as her parents, Corinne and I realized we needed to help her grow out of this because this will lead to some really bad decisions later in life. But in this process, I don't know, parents, if you've noticed this, sometimes your kids show you a picture of you. Because it also hit me that I need to grow out of this. And if, you're, if we're honest this morning, so do you, because we're all fans of the instantaneous. Money drives business in our society. That's what happens in a capitalistic society. And no one will fund an innovation that does not meet consumer demands and therefore will not make money. And so and if you notice the trend in our society, every single new invention, every single new innovation is built for the instantaneous. This is, I'm, back when I was in high school, this is not... Mike Parks' upbringing. It's not my dad's upbringing. This is back when I was in high school, less than 20 years ago. Almost no one had cell phones. Right? You had to call someone at their home. If they weren't there, they didn't answer. You just had to deal with it. One of my favorite stores in Cloverdale was a store called Hometown Video, where you drive to the store, and you, if you want to watch a movie, you would go in and rent a VHS. Right? If you wanted to watch a show together as a family, as a family we watched Home Improvement and The Cosby Show and America's Funniest Home Videos growing up, what we had to do is we had to be in front of the television live at the time it started or we didn't see it. Those were our options. Now, all of you have a world of information in your back pockets and on your phone. You can contact anyone you want in an instant, calling them on their cell phone or sending them a text. Now there's Netflix and DVR and Hulu. You can watch whatever you want on demand in an instant. Why? Because we as a consumer have demanded it. We want what we want, and we want it now. And the worst offense that you can do for us in today's age is to make us wait. This is why I'm, I'm beginning to appreciate more and more just the boldness of doctor's offices and dentist's offers where, where offices where they sit you in a room, and what do they call it? It's a waiting room. But they tell you what it is. And I'm beginning to think, man, if we, we need to just start instituting these around, around our society and in your home. Just have, a, if your kid's getting out of, impatient, just sit them in a waiting room. You have to sit in there and wait. Because what happens, right, is if we have slow checkout lanes, if we have slow traffic, if something in our life gets delayed, we will act as if we're genuinely suffering. When we're not, we're just waiting. You see, God doesn't see it this way at all. He doesn't see it like we do at all. And the Psalms, uh, the psalmist repeatedly excel, exalts the virtue of just waiting on the Lord. When we pray, God will often withhold and delay his answer for a season because he places great value on making us wait. God always works in his timing, which is very rarely instantaneous, by the way, because he sees the worth in waiting. So far in our Heartbeat series, we've encouraged you to add things to your life. 
Right? We've encouraged you to build in a, a quiet time in your life. We've, you, we've encouraged you to build in a pursuit of God's word. By the way, how are you doing with the reading plan? We've encouraged you to, to build more prayer into your life, but there's also a great value in removing things. You know that? There are all sorts of products in our day that, that are claiming to offer you a physical cleanse. Right? Pills you can take that will do a, a detox. There are cleanses that you can do, diets you can do that will, that will flush out your body of toxins. There's a need for a spiritual cleanse as well. And today was going to be like any worship service that we've done, at least since I've been in this role. And we're going to spend some time this morning talking about our need to just abstain. To not give in to our, our demands, to not give in to our impulses, to not give in to our wishes all the time, but to actually go slowly and choose to wait. And then the second half of the sermon this morning won't be a lecture format. Where the second half, we're just going to come to a halt and together seek the Lord in prayer. Because the idea is it's time we just stop talking about it and time we just start doing it. And so what I want to look at in the first half this morning is, is this idea of fasting. Uh, the, the, to define fasting, it just means willfully abstaining from something. Often in the Bible, it's willfully abstaining from food. And this is done under the subtopic of prayer because prayer and fasting in the scriptures always go hand in hand. And fasting is referred uh, a lot. It's referred to a lot in the Bible, but if we're honest this morning, not many of us practice it. Not many of us really know what it is or know the purpose of it. And so what we want to do this morning is just unpack what fasting is, give the heart behind it, and give you some steps to start if you'd like to institute this in your own spiritual journey. So a little background before we look again at Matthew 6 where Brooke read, fasting was a process that began in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. And the Israelites would abstain from eating. They would fast from solid foods. They would abstain from eating for a few reasons. Number one, they would do this to show reliance on the Lord. Number two, they would do this as a response to mourning, to, to grieving. Or number three, when they really needed direction or aid from God. Now, if you know the Pharisees, if you've been here much time and you went, th- went with us through the book of John, this, what I'm about to tell you will not be shocking at all. Right? By the time of Jesus, the Pharisees had taken this idea of fasting and they'd made it less about worship. And instead, what they had done with it is they'd made it a scheduled, repetitive, law-based thing that you could track. And so the Pharisees had put a system in place where every single Monday and every single Thursday you had to fast. Because it was something that you had to do, not something that you chose to do, not something that you got to do. It was something that you had to do. And so it became ritualistic, it became routine, and it was something that you could do to then hold over others. If you were fasting and they were not, you could feel superior. And so it would become less and less and less about God and way more about the people who were actually fasting. And so in Matthew 6, Jesus is addressing this hypocrisy from the Pharisees. At the start of Matthew 6, he tells them, when you give, give in secret. And, and then he says, when you pray, pray in secret. And then in verse 16, he gets to fasting. Matthew 6, verse 16 says this. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. It will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's in order to understand this morning what fasting is, we have to understand first what it isn't. And the first thing that we can pull out here is obvious. Number one, fasting is not something to do to be seen. Right? Jesus here is talking about the hypocrites of his day. You can picture these people, right? You can picture them putting on a show, right? They walk around with these really grimaced faces. They, they, didn't get, they didn't take time to get ready to look good that day. They're, they're grabbing their stomachs in pain, and, and they're doing it all so you would know I'm not eating today. And what was the point, in their mind, what was the point of fasting if people didn't know how awesome and spiritual you were? And Jesus is telling them, if that's your goal in this, then congratulations, you've already got everything you're going to get out of it. If you were doing this for the praise of the man, congrats, it's done. That's, that's all you're getting. Which is, again, why we're doing this series. You can make any good thing bad if you do it for the wrong reasons. You could, you could make giving a prayer request bad. You can, you, can, you can share a testimony and do it in the wrong way. You can compliment another person in the wrong way. You can lead worship or give a sermon in the wrong way. If the focus and desire is to bring the attention to you, you're going to accomplish that and nothing else. And it's safe to say this, that anything that you do with the goal of drawing attention to yourself, Jesus despises. Because it's the complete opposite of everything that he's about. 
Fasting is not something that you do to be seen or win the approval of others. Number two, it's not something you do to feel superior. Right? The Pharisees chose a schedule. They chose Monday and Thursday so they could track it. So they could say, you know, I've fasted twice a week for 20 years. How about you? Oh, you're not as good as me, are you? I mean, think of, we all know Christians who love to tell you how much they pray, don't we? Christians who can't wait to tell you how much they read or underline or make notes. They can't wait to tell you how much they fast. And the question is, what, what is the point of that? Never, ever allow your spiritual pursuit of Jesus to give you an air of superiority over other Christians or non-Christians. Because at the moment that that happens, you stop pursuing Jesus and you've made it all about your own glory and vanity. This is, this is fasting, but it's not unlike any other spiritual discipline. It's not something you do to feel superior over others. And thirdly, it's not just going hungry. Right? It's, it's not abstaining just to abstain. There's first couple years in college, I remember uh, I was at Marion College in Annapolis, and I would eat every day with, with my golf teammates. And in and, and the springtime during Lent, I would notice on Fridays, they, just, they weren't eating meat. They would only eat fish. And so once I just asked them about it, I said, well, by the way, why... Why do you guys just stop eating meat? And they said, well, we're, we just fast from meat on this, this, this time of year. And I said, well, do you do anything else? Like, do you, is it, they're like, no, we just don't eat meat. That's it. And I was like, well, I don't get that. Because at that point, you've just deprived yourself of one of the greatest gifts God ever gave mankind, correct? See, if you just go hungry, I don't know what the point of that would be. Biblical fasting is abstaining from something in order to pursue a spiritual gain. You must replace it with something. Biblical fasting has a stated purpose and aim. And, and it does, it, you don't just withhold something. It also pursues something in its place. Right, so that's what fasting is. And here's what it is. Number one, fasting is worship. The heartbeat behind choosing to do a fast is to free up your time and free up your focus and free up your investment to pour more of that into God. Right? It's to make you feel even more reliant on him. It's to strengthen your resolve to fight your flesh and walk with his spirit. And at the conclusion of any time you do this, God should seem bigger. God should seem more important and more valuable to you. And you should end up being closer to him and have a deeper connection to him. All of which should lead you to more and more worship of him. That's the point. Fasting is worship. Number two, fasting is purposeful. Right? Much, how, much like how it isn't just going hungry or abstaining from something else. Fasting should have a direct purpose when you do it. When you, if you're facing a big, big decision this morning, a lot of people in scriptures, that's when they chose to fast. They fast to seek after God's wisdom. In the book of Acts, the church leaders fasted before they commissioned Paul and Barnabas to missions work. Paul and his team would fast before they chose or identified elders in each church they planted. If you're facing a time of crisis, a trial, right, then, you, then it's a good idea to fast to seek his intervention and help. Jesus, before facing the temptation of the devil in the desert, fasted for 40 days to prepare himself. Kings would often under, order nations to undergo times of fasting and repentance when, when a prophet would give them a difficult message from the Lord. Right? Before starting to fast, you should have a clear goal, a clear purpose for it. And it might be as simple as you just want to draw closer to God, but it might be for guidance for a big decision you're facing. It might be to cover, overcome a habitual sin pattern in your life. It might be for healing or strength for you or a loved one. It might just flow out of your desperate need for God to move in an area in your life. But it should have a purpose to it. Fasting is worship. It's purposeful. And it also is done to honor God. Fasting is one of the most effective ways to love the giver more than the gifts. The Bible tells us in James 1 that God has given us everything good in our lives. In Romans 1, we're told that because of our sinful nature, human beings have the tendency to worship created things rather than the creator. We decide we're going to worship the gifts instead of the giver. And so for you to willingly abstain, to choose to abstain from an awesome gift from God in order to pursue him more helps assure that your devotion and your worship remains on the giver and not just on the gifts. It is you saying, God, you are more important than food. God, you are more important than whatever else it is that you're abstaining from. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, you must do this in secret. Because there's another declaration of that. God, I don't care if anyone else sees or knows that I'm doing this. I just want to honor you. That's the point. So how do you get started? If, you, if you've 
never done this, or you haven't done this in a while, uh, number one, I would tell you to start small. Don't, say, don't get to size morning and say, I'm going to fast for 40 days. You're not going to make it, all right? If you're, go, if you're going to fast from food, we're going to break down some different options you have in a minute. But if you're going to fast from food, start small. Start with just one meal once a week. And then if you want, you can build from there. You can make it two meals. Or you can build up to a day. But whatever time you have built in for that meal, instead of eating, give that time to God. Whatever time you're going to spend on that meal, like you read your Bible or do a prayer walk or, or journal some things he's done for you, listen to worship music. Every time that you feel that hunger or draw to that desire, pray a prayer of worship. Begin small. And number two, also declare your purpose. What is, the, what is your goal in this act of worship? Because based on whatever your goal is, it will help you determine what to do with that time. If you're fasting because you know a loved one who's sick, then use that time to pray for healing. If you're fasting because you want to overcome a sin in your life, memorize verses that will help you in that fight. If you're fasting just to draw closer to God, take the time to record all the amazing things he's done in your life. The book of Ephesians 5, 18 tells us this. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Listen, that is a biblical concept that that says this. It's not enough to simply remove the bad. You have to replace it with the good. This is why so many people have a hard time overcoming these habitual sin patterns in life where they get to the point where they're just convicted, they're just tired of it, they want to stop, and they say, you know what, I'm going to stop, I'm going to choose to stop this. But they don't fill that gap with anything. They don't give what they've given to their heart with anything else. And so eventually that void is still there and they eventually fall back. See, it wasn't enough for Paul to tell the Ephesians to stop getting drunk. He wanted them to fill themselves with something of value in its place. That's why fasting cannot just be abstaining. You must fill it with the pursuit of God. Whatever the void is there, fill it with the Lord. And a big part of knowing how to fill it is knowing what the purpose is of your fast. Thirdly, consider others in this process. Right? Some of you get hangry. You know what hangry is? It's a combination of hungry and angry. And you just become an absolute grouch when you don't eat, right? Well, don't fast when you're going to be around a bunch of people then. Because spiritual disciplines don't give you a free pass to be a jerk to others. Right? Think of how this is going to impact others. Secondly, remember the value of being secretive. If you have a standing time that you eat with a bunch of people, don't choose that as your meal to fast. Because then you have no choice but just sit there and be like, hey, I'm fasting, aren't I awesome? No, don't, don't do that. Thirdly, in this consideration of others, think about joining up with people. There's a way to do group fasting or public fasting and have it still be secretive. In the Old Testament, we find whole cities and nations doing this. this. A small group can do this. A Sunday school class. Maybe, even, maybe we even declare a church-wide fast one day. But spouses, families, friends, accountability partners can do this together. But if you do it as a group, keep it in the group. No one else needs to know. And then and fourth, choose the object of your fasting. This is where you have, you have some freedom. In the Bible, fasting refers to food. Okay, they were, they, you must know in the Bible they were skipping solid foods. And I still think that's the purest form of fasting there is because your body actually physically revolts against you. And so you must, you must overcome that response to lean on God. But there are other things that you can fast that aren't means of survival. And I would encourage you to think about those, to fast in this way, because there are other means to this. So if, you're, if you have a medical condition or if you're, you're breastfeeding and your doctor's like, don't skip meals, there are other ways that you can do this. And if, you, if you're somebody who just wants to try multiple ways to do this, you can do this. You can fast something other than food. Martin Lord Jones said this. He said, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. You know what he's saying there? He's using a lot of big words. He's saying fasting is stopping anything for the sake of a spiritual gain. And so here are some questions for you. What is something that you give a lot of time to? What's something in your life that, if you're honest, you find way too much identity in? You put too much value in it. When you have nothing else to do, what do you do? I mean, those, those rare times that you're just bored and have nothing else to do, what is it that you choose to do in those moments? What is something that you would feel a noted absence in your life if you just stopped doing it? Or what is something that might contribute to a sinful pattern or attitude in your life? 
Those are the types of questions that can help you identify things that it would do your soul good to, to abstain from for a season, if not longer. I've known people who, who have actually confessed, right, that they've put too much of their identity and too much stock and exercise. You can see that's not my struggle, right? But they say that they saw too much identity value. And so what they actually did is they fasted from exercising for a season and they just used the time that they gave that to pray and read and worship. 1 Corinthians 7, if you're, men, if you're married, 1 Corinthians 7 should be your favorite chapter in the Bible because Paul tells you, tells you to not abstain from making love to your wife, that it's a command, you need to do it. But he actually says in the middle of it, it, married couples, you have the option of fasting from this for a season to draw closer to the Lord. By the way, if you're doing that so much that it's eating up that much of your time, good on you, high five this morning, okay? If you've got newborns or kids, you're thinking, oh, is that what we've been doing? We've been fasting? Good, right? You have these options. Someone, by the way, someone who struggles with pornography, I'm not going to act like there aren't people here who don't, hey, because I've seen the stats. May I suggest this morning a fast from the internet altogether? I know, how are you going to be able to put up that picture of the awesome dinner you made last night? That's a small price to pay. What about a season just removing that pull and temptation from your life altogether? I remember back when I was on social media, people announcing that they were going to start a fast from social media. And I'm like, well, that kind of defeats the point, doesn't it? But man, you talk about a place of vain toxicity and just time wasters. There would be great value in just taking a season away from all of that and using the time you give to that to pursue God. Think of every single time that you open and look at your phone, you're opening the Bible app instead. You'd have the Bible read through in no time. These are just suggestions. Right? Only you know what gets too much of your heart. Only you know what gets too much of your time. Only you, knew, you know what holds too much of your identity. It would be great worth for you to just lay those down in a pursuit of Christ. So your encouragement today is just get this discipline in your life somehow, some way. Make it a part of your spiritual pursuit. If you're facing a time of crisis, right, if you need guidance from the Lord, you've got a big decision, I would right now choose a plan to start fasting and just calling on him. And if you're not necessarily in that spot, but you just want to draw closer, if you want to overcome sin or feel a deeper connection to God, I would choose this morning something that you're going you're to willfully choose to abstain from. Even if it's something that on its own may be very good. But it consumes time, it consumes thoughts, it consumes energy that could be directed toward God. Trade in the good for something greater. Because it will do your soul well to wait on God. It will do your soul well to abstain from the things that you want on demand. To just say no to yourself for once. It will enhance your pursuit of Him to remove some of the greatest consumers of our time and attention and give those instead to Him. Because when we pursue God, we never, ever regret it. And fasting is just another means of grace, another awesome opportunity that he gives us to run after him. Now, a big focus that we've had so far on this series is our personal relationship with Jesus. It's kind of the idea of the series. But if you, you know this, if you know the Bible, in order to actually get to the heartbeat of our faith, corporate group experiences are required. First of all, the Bible says that your relationship with Jesus must be lived out in the context of a local church because you need other people. You need corporate worship. You need to worship and learn with other people. And a big part of corporate worship all the way through the Bible is corporate prayer. Where as a church, right, we join in unison and come to God asking him to move. And we honestly feel this morning as we've spent enough time talking about some of these things, let's go ahead and just put some of them into practice. And so we're going to close out our focus on prayer in the Heartbeat series this morning by just having a devoted time of prayer in our worship service today. And I want to address a couple things before we, we jump in. Number one, if, if you're not a believer in Christ this morning, okay, if, if you're a guest and you, you would say, I've never believed in Christ, parts of this may seem awkward to you. And I want you to know that's not our intention today. Uh, we didn't set out a goal to make you feel uncomfortable. But you must know this is a worship service. So we very much intend to worship our God who created us and saved us. And so if you're not a believer and you just want to sit this out, first of all, we won't know because you'll be sitting like everyone else. But number two, you won't offend us. But I invite you to reconsider. I invite you to, to look at the screens and take the time to think through what it is that we're praying. And there's going to be a section where we pray for those who don't yet know Christ and know in that moment that we're going to be praying for you. 
because of how much we believe that Jesus can change your life. And it's a great chance for you this morning to accept Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. Secondly, I want to say this. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, and group prayer makes you uncomfortable, I lovingly invite you to get over yourself. I want you to lean into the awkwardness this morning because it's worth it. And so when we do this today, we're going to give you complete freedom. If you want to pray as an individual silently, great. If you want to pray as a couple, great. If you want to pray as a family, if you've got a group of friends around you you want to pray with, fine. If you want to pray out loud, okay. Just remember there are others praying too, so you don't need to shout it. If you want to sit in your chair, sit in your chair. If you want to come to the altar, come to the altar. If you want to kneel at your seat, do that. You have the freedom to do this as you wish this morning. But what we're going to do is we're just going to give you a series of topics. And in that topic, we're going to break down what it is we're asking you to pray as the church of Jesus this morning. And then we're going to give you time to do just that. And then we'll move to the next prayer topic. And then the last one will be worship. This is the first thing. I'm going to give you this topic and then we'll just ask you to pray. The first thing this morning is just a prayer of thanksgiving. All right, James 1 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from from above. God has been good to you. I can say that with confidence. And the only way that we doubt this is by ignoring the many good things that he's given us. And we want to make that mistake this morning. So we're going to start today by just taking time to pray. Why don't you just list out things to him that he's done in your life that you're thankful for. Take a few moments to do that and then we'll give you your next topic. Second Corinthians 4 tells us that our enemy has blinded the eyes of the non-believers, that they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. I want you to take these moments to pray for those in your life who do not yet know him, those that you work with, those that are in your family, those that you're friends with, and ask God to just remove the scales from their eyes. Ask him to draw them to himself. And by the way, if you've never believed in Jesus, then this morning, man, this is a great opportunity for you to just pray that prayer yourself, to accept him into your life, to ask him to forgive you of your sins and to take over. Take some moments to bring this before him.
1 John 1 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's a difference between relying on grace and presuming upon it. So take some time to just pray and lay your sins bare before the Lord this morning. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to give you strength uh, to resist this in the future. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist confessed unknown sin as well. Right? So ask God to reveal to you anyone that you harbor a grudge or business to and just for the strength to release them to God, forgiving them completely. So in this time, seek the Lord's forgiveness for your sins and seek your forgiveness for others who have harmed you. We have been given a great mission as the local church of Jesus, a mission that we cannot accomplish on our own. It's impossible without the Lord's help. So would you pray for your church? Would you pray that we would glorify Jesus in all that we do? Would you pray that we would remain faithful to his word and faithful to his mission and that as a body we would stay unified and that God would use this, use us as a place in people where he would develop many fully devoted followers of Christ who attract others to him. Take some time to pray for your church this morning.
FBN does not exist to compete with other churches. Every time someone finds a church home, uh, it's a win. Every time someone finds their faith in Jesus, it's a win. And so much the same way you just prayed for us, pray for our neighboring sister churches. Uh, all the same things that we prayed for ourselves, that they would be faithful to the mission God gave them, be faithful to his word, that they would stay unified on this, and that, that God would use the churches of Terre Haute uh, to bring glory to his name. All over our world today, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are gathering this morning under the threat of arrest, persecution, or even death. We're going to pray for the persecuted church this morning. Pray. As you pray, would you pray that God would strengthen them and strengthen their faith and strengthen their churches, that he would embolden them in the face of danger? Would you pray for those persecuting them, that one, there might be an apostle Paul among them, that, that their example would inspire uh, not only those who are persecuting them, but followers of Jesus around the world to have a deeper level of commitment to him. Take some time to pray for the persecuted church this morning. In 1 Timothy 2, we are commanded to pray for our government leaders. So this morning, would you pray for our leaders in the national, state, and local level, that they would govern well, that they would lead in righteousness, that they would serve in humility and integrity. Pray especially for those servants of Jesus, the fathers of Jesus, who are in the political arena right now, trying to bring light to what is an often a dark area. And pray that we as followers of Christ would be good citizens, but keep our ultimate hope in Jesus, that we are citizens of heaven, that that is where our confidence would lie. Pray for our leaders this morning.
part of living in a sin-stained world is there will always be people who are hurting. James 5 tells us that we should pray for one another. Galatians tells us that we should bear each other's burden. And so would you pray for the afflicted? Would you pray, pray for those in your life who you know are facing a difficult time right now? Pray for those who are sick that need healing. Pray for reconciliation for, for marriages that are struggling. Pray for employment for those who are looking for jobs. Just ask that God would bring answers and solutions to all these situations to anyone who's hurting your life and would bring glory to his name. We have set aside all of 2018 to focus in as a church on our personal walks with Jesus Christ. Would you pray and ask God to bless this effort in this series by making us all more devoted to him than we've ever been before. By making us all more effective witnesses of him in our lives and giving us all more of Jesus in our daily lives and that he would get the glory and praise from all of it. We want to close out this time of corporate prayer with worship because a big part of prayer is just simply worshiping God. So take a few moments in prayer just to praise and exalt God for who he is. Worship each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Describe, as the psalmist says, ascribe to the Lord glory and honor. Praise him. Praise his powerful and awesome name. Praise his grace and his love and his justice and his righteousness and his sovereignty that has no equal. As you're doing this, the, the, the praise team will come up, and at the end of this time, they're just going to go right into song. So at the end of that, when they start the song, you're invited to just join us and continue on in your worship. Pray and just worship the Lord this morning.
Thank you, Ron, Sarah, and Paula. Thank you all for being here. Thank you uh, for, for joining us in that. I really think that that probably accomplished any way more than 15 more minutes of me talking. Um, so we're, we're excited to see what the Lord will do with these prayers, excited to see uh, how he's going to move, because we know he will. That's what he promises his word. So as you go today, go uh, in Christ. If you, if you liked having a prayer guide, then there's in your bulletin this morning. We went ahead and put that in there for you. Um, so you can continue those prayers throughout your week if you'd like that. Uh, the Bible reading plan is in there. Uh, we strongly encourage you to choose something to fast. Don't tell us about it, all right? Uh, but choose it and tr put that in your life and, and just go in a pursuit of Christ and get more of him. We love you guys. You're dismissed.